So I am not very good at figuring out how to tell if someone is trustworthy or not. I have the problem that I just tend to trust everybody. And this sometimes can get me into trouble. I was uh, in LA after uh, being in Guatemala with my parents, visiting my sister who was over there, and we were, had a stopover in LA for about six hours. And so I was like, I've never been actually in the United States before. I really want to see it. And so we went to uh, talk to someone in the airport and said, where can we get to from the airport uh, that we can get there uh, relatively quickly and we can you know, do something that's like quintessentially LA and then get back in time for our flight. And they said, well, you should go to Venice Beach because you can get there, you can just catch a taxi there and then you can spend probably you know, a few hours there, two hours, you'll be fine. And then, then you can catch a taxi back and, uh, and then you'll have had you know, an LA experience. I was like, well, that sounds fun. So we, we hopped in a taxi and it was, uh, it was yellow and green, but yellow. And I was like, oh, great, this is exciting. I'm in America. And then uh, we went to Venice Beach, uh, which is the beach with all the, uh, the bodybuilders and the rollerbladers. And so we kind of looked around there and we saw all that stuff. We saw like the, the guard tower for the lifeguards, like Baywatch, and that was pretty exciting for me. And we ate this big American meal. And then we were walking down the footpath and there were lots of people there, you know, to visit, say hello to the tourists and sell their stuff. And there were uh, some guys there uh, who came up to us and said, oh, how are you going? And we're like, oh, good. And they're like, you know, we're, we're gangster rappers. And I was like, wow, gangster rappers. Like, we're from Compton. I'm like, Compton, LA? Are you in a gang? That's pretty exciting. <laughs> like, I was really excited to meet some real live gangsters in LA. And they had some CDs and they're like, oh, would you like to buy our CD? And I was like... Oh, and they're like, it's full of, you know, hip-hop that we've made. I'm like, you've made your own gangster rap from an actual gangster? That's amazing. And he's like, it's $30. I'm like, $30. He's like, for you, $20. I'm like, $20 for me because we're mates? Like, if there's ever an issue in LA, I'm giving you a call because you can look after me. I'm like, definitely. So I bought it and I took a photo with him. And I'm like, yeah, cool. Like, you know, I'm totally in with the, the Bloods or the Cribs or someone. I'm like, I'm in. This is great. And so then uh, I, I took the CD. I was really happy. It came back to Australia. And I gave it to my friend. Like, here is a genuine gangster rap CD from a genuine gangster rapper. And he was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. So he gave it to him as like precious, precious gift that I could give away. And then he talked to me a, a little while later and he said, Tom, that CD you gave me. And I was like, yeah, he goes, I put it on. And I was like, oh yeah, how was it? And he was like, it was a blank CD. I was like, what? He was like, he was like yeah, it's a blank CD. And I've been sold a blank CD. This, this guy had just gone out and got himself a blank CD and put like a photocopied cover on it and then sold it to me. So I, I paid like 19 extra dollars for a $1 CD. I got completely ripped off and I was very happy about it. Happy to get ripped off by that guy. It was great. Uh, but you know, like I'm always getting ripped off by Bill. There was one time when I paid $300 for a car wash, twice in one day. Like I keep not knowing how to trust people. Like who is trustworthy, who isn't trustworthy? And what we see in this story here of Abram is he is asking the question, how can I trust God? How do I know if God is trustworthy? And you can't tell with God as well how he's trustworthy. You can't look him in the eyes and go, yeah, he's got nice eyes, we can trust him. Like, you can't do that with God. So how do you know if God is trustworthy? How can you trust God? And so we can have a look at this story of Abram and see what happens. And we can see if we can learn anything for ourselves about how can we trust God? Well, the first thing that happens is that Abram has been out uh, and he's had a battle 
And he's rescued his uh, nephew Lot, who got uh, taken captive uh, by some kings. And, he, and Abram came and fought with, for the king of Sodom and rescued Lot and rescued their people. And, and then uh, the king of Sodom was like, oh, you can take, take all the stuff that you've won in this battle. And Abram's like, no, I won't take it. You know, you've got your people back. I won't take it. That's fine. And, and so then he's finished the battle and we get to this bit. And it says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And what God is saying there is he's saying, Abram, you might be afraid. And maybe Abram is feeling afraid at this point in time because he doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know about the retribution that might come or you know, if he made the wrong choice in giving up all the, the spoils of war. Um, but he is afraid. But God says to him, you don't need to be afraid because I am your shield. I am the one that protects you. I am your reward. I am the one who gives you riches. It's not in the things of this world and it's not in the military conquest that you could go on. No, it is, in, it is in me, Abram. You can trust me. And so then Abram says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant of my household will be my heir. Now, hopefully you remember because you were here in church or you've uh, heard it uh, previously that Abram has been promised by God that he would be uh, able to, he would become a great nation uh, through his descendants, that he would get land and that he would be a blessing to the whole world. And so Abram is wondering, well, how is he going to have descendants if he doesn't have a descendant? How can he have children if he doesn't have a child? And at the moment, the only kid that he's got is not a kid, it's his servant. And in those days, often what they might do is they'd have a servant who they would kind of adopt into their family, who would look after them in old age and then make sure their funeral went okay and then they could inherit everything. But poor Abram is wondering, like, this is the end of my family line. What are you going to do about it, God? And so it says that God took him out to look at the stars. He says, look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. If you want to take this really literally, uh, then the most that any one person can see in the sky with their naked eye is about 2,500 stars. So literally, you could be like, well, look, Abraham is going to have at least 2,500 descendants. And if you know anything about the story of Abraham, you know that Actually, he had a lot more descendants than that. If you want to go beyond like the stars that you can just see with your naked eye, there is about, scientists reckon, 10 to the power of 24 uh, stars in the universe. Like that's one, a 10 with 24 zeros on the end, which is probably a lot more descendants than Abram is going to have, spiritual or physical, unless the, the earth goes on for a very, very long time before Jesus comes back. But I don't think this is meant to be taken completely that literally. I think what God is saying is saying, Abram, look at the stars. You can't count them, but I made them. And just as I made these stars and I look after them, I'm going to look after you and I'm going to make sure that you are fine. I'm going to make sure that you get the descendants. Just as I did that, I can do this in you. And for Abram, is, he's saying, can I trust you, God? And God's saying, yes, you can trust me. Look at the stars. And Abram, he is... At this point, he's asking God about his word because God has promised him to have a, that he was going to have a kid. And Abram is like, can I trust your word, God? Can I trust your word? And God could say, when Abram asks him, when he says, what can you give me? God could say, I already told you this thing. You, that should be enough for you. I told you once, that's enough. I saw a card uh, in a, um, 
news agent once, which is like a, two, an old couple sitting up in bed, and the old woman said to the old, says to the old man, she says, why don't you tell me you love me anymore? And he says, I told you once, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. And God could have done that to Abram. He could have said, I've told you once, that should be enough. But he doesn't. He tells him again. The answer to Abram doubting God's word is God's word. God gives him his word again, not because God changes and not because his word changes, but because Abram changes. And for us, when we are in this situation, when we are doubting God's word, when we are doubting the promises of God, then God can give us his word again. He can give us an old word with a fresh hope and a fresh confidence, not because God changes, but because we change, because our circumstances change. I am like probably one or two of you in that every now and then I think to myself, I'm going to get fit. This is the time to get fit. And I'm like, I'm going to go for a run. I think this is good because, you know, it'll be good for my heart and I'll, I'll live longer and I'll be healthier. I've got to get fit. And so I make this plan to get fit. And I, just, I, I say, I'm going to run in the morning. I get my running clothes and I put them out. And then I set my alarm at like five stupid o'clock. And then, and then the alarm goes off. And I, and I went to bed full of excitement and confidence, and I wake up full of anger and wrath. I'm like, what is this thing that is waking me up? And I'm like, oh, I've got to go running. I'm like, this is terrible. Why am I doing this to myself? This is the worst. And then I, I eventually drag myself out of bed, and I put on my running clothes, and then I start running, and it, the air is cold, and I feel it on my face, and I'm going fast. I'm like, this is great. I'm amazing. I'm going to win the Olympics. And then a minute in, I'm like, oh, this is terrible. What am I doing? Why am I doing this to myself? And then I run for like 20 minutes. And then at the end, I finish, and the endorphins kick in. I'm like, yes, this is great. I'm amazing. I'm going to do this every day. Or if not every day, every second day or third day, perhaps. I'm going to do it a lot. And I feel really good about myself and I want to run all the time. And then the next day my legs hurt and I'm like, that was terrible. What am I doing? And running hasn't changed. And the goodness of running hasn't changed and the truth about running hasn't changed. That is always the same. Like it's always good for me to go running. It's always going to help me to, to live longer and be healthier. Like running in itself is objectively good, but I have changed, and my circumstances change, and my feelings about them change, and they keep changing, and God knows that that's what we're like. And so he gives us a, a fresh understanding of his word as we need it. You can remember those times when you've been really excited about God, when you remember the promises that he gave you, and you're like, yes, and then they fade, and so then you need them again and again and again. Because the answer to not knowing whether you can trust God's word is God's word. And so if you are someone who at the moment is, you know, doubting whether God's promises to you are true, then it's great that you're here now. Because this is the place to be, to, to be encouraged by each other and the promises of God's word. That we got to sing in the song and we get to hear in his word and you get to hear from each other. If you're doubting God's word, you need God's word. How can you trust God? Well, you, we look at his word and he gives it to us again and again and again because he is gracious and loving like that. But then the, the story goes on, uh, and we see that uh, Abram uh, asks God another question. Uh, he goes on and he says, um, hold on, where is it? Oh, no, here we go, verse 6. says, Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? 
So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. That's a little bit strange. God says to Abram, bring me these animals. Abram goes and finds the animals and then cuts them in two and then arranges them in a very precise arrangement. And, and nobody asks any questions about this. Like if I said to you, bring me a puppy, and you brought me a puppy in two halves, I would be very distressed. But Abram seems to know that something is important is going on here. And, and God knows that something important is going on here. And then it tells us that as the sun is setting, Abram falls into a deep sleep and a thick and terrible darkness comes over him. It says, Then the Lord uh, said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your, descendant, sorry, to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And what God is doing there is talking to uh, Abram about the promise of land and promise of land and his descendants. Like, how are they going to mix together? And God is telling Abram, like, this promise that I gave you, it's not going to happen straight away. You're going to have to wait for it. In fact, you're not even going to see the answer to this promise that I gave you. It's going to be 400 years and your descendants, they're first going to be enslaved. And only after they've been enslaved, after they've left their captors and come back here with great possessions, only then will they take possession of the land. This is a long time coming. And I suspect if, if I were Abram, this would be really hard news to hear. To hear that this thing that you've been hoping for is going to take a lot longer than you thought it would. Like, this would be hard. Like, I find it difficult when, when a Star Wars movie gets moved from a May release to a December release. So to find out that this promise that I thought was coming is going to take 400 years to happen, like, that would be tough. And sometimes a place where we find it difficult to trust God is not just in His Word, but in His timing. That we know that, you know, God is good, and we know that, you know, God has good things in store for us. We know that God wants to answer our prayers, and we will see the answers. We know these things, but it all just takes way too long. And so we have to know that, can we trust God in the timing? Can we trust God to, to work when, he, when it's right to work? And the truth is that if we think about it a little bit, we know that we can trust God in these things. We know that we can because we understand that it's important to get the timing right on things. We know these things because we see it around in our life all the time. One of my favorite meals at home, me and my wife, we love to eat baked sweet potato because it's really easy and it tastes really good. We love it. And so you just get the sweet potato and you poke some holes in it, stick it in the oven, and then you leave it in there for around an hour and then you pull it out and you cut it open and you smell it and then the steam comes off and there's this lovely baked potato aroma and then we put butter on it and melted cheese and then the bit that some people don't like is then we put the baked beans on and then we put on the, the uh, peas and corn and then sour cream and it tastes amazing. But, but we know that we can't just eat baked potato straight away. You can't put it in the oven for five minutes and then 
chow down on it because it's going to taste disgusting. And we put, the, uh, put it in and sometimes I get impatient and I'll go and check it every like five minutes and I'll poke the potato and I'll be like, oh, it's still, still a little bit hard. And I'll poke the potato and it's still a little bit hard and I'll poke it and it's still a little bit hard. And sometimes I just give up and I'm like, I'm just going to eat it anyway. We pull it out and then it's kind of a bit crunchy and floury. It doesn't taste good because we know that you've got to wait till exactly the right time to pull it out and then you can eat it. Like this is not news to anyone. You know how this works. You've got to wait till the right time. And this is just kind of my sovereignty over baked potatoes that this is working itself out in. But God has a greater sovereignty over all of time and all of space. And if I can kind of see the consequences of, you know, getting the potato not quite right, then God can see the consequences of getting everything not quite right. That he can see not just in our present, but he can see our past and he can see our future and not just ours. He can see it for everyone around us. If this is the God that we worship, then we have to trust him with the timing because he can see so much more than us. And so, the, so if you're asking, how can I trust God? Then the way that you trust God with timing is to say, well, I'm going to give that to him and I, I'm going to, oh, there we go. Can you hear me if I just keep talking? Yes, all right. Uh, are you? There you go. Um, yeah, the way that we say we're going to trust God in the timing is that we say, okay, if God has the big timing, then what is my present faithfulness that I need to do? What is the present thing that I need to do? Because what God was asking of Abram was he wasn't saying you need to worry about this thing 400 years in the future. He's, he's like, you need to be faithful right now. So what is our present faithfulness? What is that that God is calling us to? If you're the person who is stressing about when are you going to get, when is your job going to be right? When are you going to get that promotion you've been hoping for or the pay rise that you want? If that's your stress for the future, then the question is, what is your present faithfulness right now? Maybe your present faithfulness right now is to be, is to be saying, actually, I'm just going to leave work early so I can go home and be with my family. I'm going to trust God with the rest because that's my present faithfulness. Or if you're worrying about your kids and you're saying, this kid that I have doesn't love Jesus. I've been praying for them, praying for them. When's God going to work that one out? Well, you have to give that to God and say, what's my present faithfulness? Well, my present faithfulness, maybe it's just to send the kid a text and see how they're going. To, to show them the love and grace and faithfulness that God has shown me and loving them whatever's going on because I'm their parent and that's how God has treated me. Maybe you're single and you're waiting for your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife to come along and you're waiting for God to work that one out. And maybe that'll work out the way you want it to. Maybe it'll work out differently, but one way or another, God's got it. But what is your present faithfulness right now? Maybe it's to go and spend some time with other people who are lonely and say, hey, how can we love and serve God together? How can I encourage you? What is your present faithfulness? Because we trust God with the big stuff and God calls us to be faithful in the present right now. So we trust God in his word and we trust God in his timing. But there's one more thing that we see happen here and this is, this is the best part of the story. It tells us uh, in verse 12, it says, As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and terrible darkness came over him. And then we have the promise that we just read. And in verse 17 it says this, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kenizzites, and you've got the rest. 
<laughs> and this is a very strange thing to happen in this story. Like, here is the climax of the story, and Abram has fallen asleep, and then a smoking pot and a flaming torch pass between these cut-up pieces of animals. And then the Lord made a covenant with Abram. That's weird. And we could just pass it off as biblical weirdness because there's a lot of biblical weirdness. We're like, well, look, there we go. That's weird. And let's move on. Genesis chapter 16. That probably makes a bit more sense. Uh, but it seems that, you know, Abram knows exactly what's going on here and God knows exactly what's going on here. Uh, and the people who read it knew exactly what was going on. So there's got to be something in there that we can discover because there's got to be something important here. And in fact, the Bible gives us some insight into what this means. If you look in Jeremiah 34, 18 to 20, and I'll read it to you in case you haven't looked it up in that four seconds that I read it, it says this, Those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant uh, they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walked between its pieces. The leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the court officials, the priests and all the people of the land who walked between the pieces of the calf, I will deliver into the hands of their enemies who want to kill them. Their dead bodies will become food for the birds of the wild animals. That's a cheery, encouraging text. But what it's saying is, it's saying, here are some people who made a covenant. And the way they made the covenant is they got some animals and they chopped them in half. And then they, said, then they walked between them and they said, you know, if we break this covenant, then we can be treated like these animals. If we break this covenant, then may we be cut in two. May our bodies be destroyed. And if we break the covenant, this is what will happen to us. And God's saying, you have broken the covenant, and that is what will happen to you. And so here we come back to Genesis 15, and here is God making a covenant with Abram, and then a smoking pot and a flaming torch travel between them. And this image of a smoking pot and a flaming torch is an image of God. And I don't completely understand what is going on here. Uh, I don't know understand all the significance of this, but I do know that the, the smoking pot and the flaming torch remind us of the, the pillar of smoke and fire that led Israel through the wilderness. That here is a picture of God. This is a, a picture of the glory of God, and God is passing through the pieces of the animals, making a covenant with Abram. And what God is saying is, he's saying, if, Abram, if, if I don't fulfill this promise to you, then I can be treated like these animals here. And I can be cut in two. I can be destroyed if I break this covenant with you. Now, this is, this is a thing that wouldn't have happened in those days. Like when they made these kinds of covenants, the, the king and their subject might pass through, or just the subject might pass through, but never the king alone. But here is God himself passing between the pieces of the animal, saying, I will take all the consequences of the broken covenant upon myself. Uh, we, as I told you before, we had just moving out of our rental property to move into another rental property. And uh, when, we, when you sign a rental agreement, you sign a thing and you say, you know, if we break this property, then you can take a bunch of money from us. And then we pay a bond. And if we break the property, they take our bond away. We have thousands of dollars on the line if we destroy the property. And then if, you know, there's a faulty wire and the place burns down and all our stuff gets destroyed, then, well, it's not the, the landlord who has to pay for it. We have to pay for it. Uh, and if there's a pipe that bursts and all our stuff gets destroyed, then it's not the landlord who has to pay for it. We have to pay for it, unless the landlord didn't fix those things. But it would be very strange if instead of you know, us making a normal lease agreement, the landlord said, actually, I will pay the bond for your lease. 
And if anything gets destroyed, I will pay for it out of my own pocket. And if, if something goes wrong in the house, I will pay for it. Like, that's not the way it should work. But this is the kind of thing that's happening here. God is saying, it's not you, Abram, who will pay for this, it's me. This is how you know you can trust me. How can you trust God? Well, you look at his character. Because his word means nothing and his timing means nothing if his character is rubbish. And so God is showing Abram his character by passing between the pieces of the animals. But still you might say, yeah, okay, God can say whatever he wants. Like, like if God breaks the covenant, you're not going to hunt him down and chop him in half. Like, he can't do that. He doesn't even have a body. Like, this is just, this is just words. This is just an empty symbol. Unless, of course, God did get a body. Unless, of course, God did come to us as a man. Unless, of course, God did allow for his body to be broken for us. And in fact, God's body in Jesus Christ was not broken because he broke the covenant. He always upheld his end of the bargain. But his body was broken because we broke the covenant, because we were unfaithful, because we disobeyed him, because we failed to love the way of being called to love, because we failed to be the people we were called to be, because we, like Abram's descendants, were not the people who lived up to this covenant. And yet he was the one who was broken for us. He was the one who passed between the animals and he was the one who let himself take the curse upon himself. All the consequences of the broken covenant fell on Jesus. So how do you know that you can trust God? How can you trust him? You trust him in his word and you trust him in his timing because you've seen it in his character, his character clearly in Jesus Christ. We see it in the the smoking pot and the flaming torch, and we see it in Jesus Christ on the rugged cross. That is where we see the character of God, and that's how we know we can trust Him. So how can you trust God? Well, you look at His character. You trust His word and His timing because of who He is and because of what we've seen Him done at the cross. Now, when you get to the end of this story, what is it that has changed for Abram at the end? What has changed for him? nothing. He doesn't have his kid. He doesn't have his land. Like They they haven't taken possession of the land. He hasn't been a blessing to all the nations. Nothing has changed. All that has happened is had an encounter with God. What God has called him to and what we see Abram doing is that he trusts God, that he believes God and is credited to him as righteousness. And the work of trusting God and the work of believing God, that is the work of the Christian. That is the work of the follower of Jesus. We believe God and everything else comes from that. And belief is shown and proved in the hard times, in the dirt, in the darkness, in the pain. When when you're not sure if you can trust God and you say, I'm going to believe him. That is where it's proved. Not when everything is going well and not when all the prayers are getting answered. Like That day will come, but it's in the hard times that we trust God. And that's where it makes the whole the difference. The work of the Christian is to be like Abram and to believe God and everything else flows from that. That the righteousness is given to us because we have trusted in Jesus Christ. And the righteousness that we are called to do, we live out because we believe in the character of God. We love others because we have a God who loved us. We give ourselves up for others because God gave himself up for us. We believe God and everything else flows from that. How can we trust God? We look at his word, we look at his timing, we see his character, 
And because of that, we can trust him and we can believe him and do the work of one who follows Jesus. If you are not a Christian, then what all this means for you is that God is calling you to trust in him, to see his character that is so clearly shown to us on the cross in Jesus Christ and to believe in him and see that he gives you a righteousness that you don't have and then to live the life that he calls you to so that you know that you have a good God who is looking after you. If not, if you don't do that, you're on your own. Better to go with the one whose character we see passing through the broken piece of the animal on the cross in Jesus Christ. And if you are a Christian, then the call for you is to do the work of a Christian, to be like Abram, to believe God, to trust him, to see his character and say, that is a God I can follow. Let everything else flow from there. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, we thank you that you showed us your character in your word again and again and again. That in this story of Abram, it is so clear what you are like. That your word can be trusted. Your timing can be trusted. That even though it is hard, that you have a character that loves and is willing to be broken for us. Father God, I pray that we'll be people in the, in the dirt and in the pain and the sorrow who look to your character and we say, I can trust you. And Lord God, we know that we will see you answer the prayers that we pray in your timing, in your way, and we look forward to that. But till that day comes, may we trust you because of who you are. Amen.